what we wanted to do is make people feel like they were engaging with the band. Thank you very much. The next song is a World Newsroom song. And one, another one that we don't play that often. Let's hope you don't see why. Hey out there in TV land. This is Arusha from Push, a Cure fan documentary. And I have hijacked the radio waves of the Holy Hour podcast. That's right. I'm going to bring you a very special interview today. Um, before we get there, though, I just want to say uh, I hope everyone's doing okay out there. We're living in such dystopian times. I grew up in the 80s, man. I thought Reagan was bad, but this is this is wild, wild stuff. So I hope you can uh, kick back, relax, put your feet up, and listen to myself and some guests talk about our favorite subject, The Cure. So let's go on a ride, shall we? Today, we will be hearing from two very special guests, Janie Weber and Chris White, about Cure News. Hopefully, most of you know about Cure News, but for those who don't, Cure News was an official international fan club run by Janie and Chris from about 1986 to 2000. And for many of us, this was a lifeline into what was happening with The Cure. Pre-internet days, we would stare longingly into our mailboxes in anticipation for the next issue. So without further ado, let's go to my interview with Janie and Chris. So let's go back in time and talk about something fun, shall we? Yeah. 1987. (laughs) Right. I'm going to give a little backstory of my history with the two of you, because how did we, you know, how did we get here? So I met Chris in 1999. A friend of mine was having a graduation in England, and there was actually no Cure concert, but there was a Cure drink. Yeah, we had a Cure drink, which was a gathering of fans after the swing tour who decided they wanted to get back together again and reminisce. So we invented this thing called Cure Drinks. Predominantly in London, I think a couple of people did it in Paris, but we didn't attend. And uh, that's where we met. So that was 1999. Afterwards, you know, we had a lot of mutual friends. We saw a lot of the same shows, experienced a lot of the same shenanigans. (laughs) Through meeting Chris in 1999 and a bunch of other people, it was like my Cure world expanded. And that's what this whole experience has been, is it's the girl in the room when I first discovered the music and I felt so isolated and weird and it was just such great music and I'd never seen people like, you know, as gorgeous as Robert Smith and Simon Gallup. And England was such a faraway place to me in many ways. And then uh, through the years, I meet the band and by 1999, 2000, it just, the experience keeps growing. And what's interesting about Janie is I never met Janie until 2016. And I mean, in the meantime, she's friends with mutual friends of mine, but somehow I just, I don't know if I spaced it out or or what, but finally in 2016, there was the big Cure tour and I went to three shows in Wembley. And by this point I had re-upped Cure Fan Doc and I had gone through, you know, some archiving and Janie, I don't remember what article it was, but there's a picture of you (laughs) and you have a bob 
And it's like Cure News and Cure fans, and probably like 92, 93. And I was like, oh yeah, Janie, like I wonder what happened to her. Where is she? What's she doing? Does she care? Is she into it? Is she disavowed the cure? You know, like what's happening? Like, you know, I have all these like fantasies that I haven't met you. <laughs> And I and I was in that picture, you know, I, I'm because it's like on a piece of paper from 1992. I'm reminded of who I was then, right? So cut back to, to Wembley in 2016. Our mutual friend Sue said, "Oh yeah, let's go uh, see Janie and uh, Bigsy," and I'm kind of like, "Who?" <laughs> so, and I'm sure you remember this movie. I do. I know, it was I like do. before I the, the show. I was so nervous. I was kind of starstruck. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> well, I think it was because it was that thing of like you're you're real and you were only this person that gave me access to the cure. You were the signature on Cure News. And so I actually spoke about this on another Holy Hour podcast. Episode 52. In 1992, I was determined to meet the cure and see as much cure as possible. And I thought they were going to break up, of course. Mm -hmm. So I got in a car with a bunch of assholes. I drove across the country with strangers in 48 hours to see the last cure show ever, at least so I thought, in New York. So we, we go to the concert and and every step of the way, these ding-dongs that I'm with are like smoking weed and like, we're always late to the show. Every opportunity that I kind of heard about, we fucked up. Even to the point of after the gig, I'm waiting to like try to get back there. And I see Brian Adsett. I didn't know who he was. He tries to signal me back. Some guy slams the door in my face. Anyway, the next day after the New York Nassau Coliseum with show in 1992, we're like, oh, you know, Robert and Mary and all the band are going to be on the Queen Anne. They're going to see fans. We're going to go. And I'm like, great. Well, guess what happens? We get there late. I see the boat pushing <laughs> off the door. <laughs> I'm running. I'm crying like tears and snot. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. And I'm running and I'm running. And I see this group of fans turn the corner and they're smiling and they're so happy. And I walk up to him. I was like, what do I do? Like, how do I stay in touch with you people? I'm surrounded by assholes. <laughs> and they looked at each other and they said, send a letter to this. Serious. And they gave me your name wow. and your information. And that's how I got into Cure News. Wow. Brilliant. Great, Great story. story. Brilliant story. Absolutely brilliant. So it was a big lifeline for me. And uh, I would love to hear the origin story from from both of you. Well, it's a long story, but it could be a short story. So <laughs> you want me to start at the beginning? Yeah, you should start because you, you were the beginning. Yeah, so um, before Cure News, there was something called, I think it was just called the Cure Information Service. And um, it was run by a commercial enterprise. So basically it was a, um, a fee paying, you know, you pay a fee, you get a plastic card and a badge and blah, blah, blah. But you don't get much information about the band. You get like a glossy print once every three or four months um, that's completely out of date and somewhat irrelevant. And I was a member of this um, information service or whatever it was called. You were as well, Chris, weren't you? Yeah, Cure Club it was called. Cure Club it was called, that's it, the Cure Club. Um, and I heard on the grapevine that the Cure Club was ending and I've been fortunate enough to have met the band a few times just through hanging out um, over the years. And as luck would have it, someone I worked with knew Ita who ran Fiction Records. 
So I said, um, can you put me in touch with Ita? And I just found Ita and said, can I run the Cure fan club? And she said, God, come up here now. So I literally got in my car, drove up to Ita Place. And um, she said, you want to take it on? I said, yes. So um, she said, great. And then handed me three huge sacks of mail and said, there you go. That's to get you started. And we literally shoved this, um, this mail in my car and I took it home. I went through it all. Um, she talked to Robert about it. And what was really interesting, um, his thought was completely unlike what any other band were doing at the time. Um, and that was he didn't want fans to have to pay a subscription to get news about what they were up to. He, he thought that was unfair. Um, and we came up with this scheme whereby if, if fans paid the postage and sent the envelopes in, then we would pay for the cost of printing something and sending it out. So that's how the whole thing started. And what year was this? I think I, I spoke to them in about 86, but it took until very early 87 to get it together because there was a massive backlog. Um, you know, the first three months were just opening envelopes and sending out signed photographs and requests like that because everything was done personally back then. You know, the mm -hmm. photos that were sent out were genuine photos with genuine signatures. It all took a long while to pull together. And what was the company that you were working for at the time? I still do, KTEL. <laughs> That's amazing. 41 so years and counting. Yeah, so I work at KTEL, which is a music company, um, compilation company primarily. And that's how I first heard about The Cure, because we put Charlotte sometimes on a compilation in 81. And that's when I first came to my intention. Or it might have been 82. Chris, you can correct me on that. I can't remember what year it was. I've got the um, record. <laughs> well, it was on that Modern Love, it was called, the compilation Modern Love. Modern Love and... Um, yeah, there's, there's a side story to that, which I'll share with you one day. But um, that's how I first got to hear The Cure, through that. And then it, you know, it became a bit of an obsession. So, yeah, I think it was about 87 when I did the first mail out. And, you know, what, what you've got to remember is back then, nobody had, a, the technology didn't exist. You know, I had a golf ball typewriter, which most people don't even know what a golf ball typewriter is now, and a bottle of Tipex. And, and literally, there, you know, you, can you imagine there was no editing software, there was no printing software. You literally typed onto an A4 sheet of paper and put tipex when you made a spelling mistake. Robert at the time, interestingly, wanted everything typed in lowercase, which is curious because now he has everything in uppercase. I've got no idea where the... Uh, what brought about such a dramatic change but everything had to be in lowercase now when you're a qualified touch typist as i was you automatically do full stop space space capital letter so if you look closely you can see nearly every sentence has got tipex on the first letter of it because literally i had to go backspace tipex that that was it um and i, I actually oh learned to type with um but this was all done on a typewriter. And then when I did the Cure Friend thing, I had to type it on A3 pieces of paper and then reduce it on a photocopier to get it onto A4. It was literally a homemade production. There was no technology involved at all. It's a, fan, it's a fanzine. I mean, it, it's it like, was literally yeah. a very poor quality fanzine because I didn't have access to scanners <laughs> for photographs. I mean, literally, it was made on a photocopier. You know, I didn't even have spell check. Everything was done, you know, just typed raw as it was. 
But it was just a fanzine. The, the beauty of it was fans didn't have to pay for it, so that hopefully they didn't feel cheated by it because a lot of fan clubs of that era were just there to make side money for the band and, and you know, the cure went completely against that. For me, the difficulty was obviously because of the lack of technology back then, as soon as you typed something and printed it, it was already history. And that was the frustrating thing that you wanted to try and let people know ahead of the game, but just the pure cycle of typing, printing, and posting out all around the world. By the time stuff arrived with people, they, they would likely have read about it in the press. But there was nothing I could do about that. You know, that's how it was at the time. And hopefully you've seen it as Cure News progressed and more technology became available to um, really pretty much more to Chris because I was still almost working off of just a basic word processor towards the end. So yeah, that, that's how I started it. And uh, I went on for several years, met Chris, when did we meet Chris? 1991, I think? Yeah, we met in 91, yeah. 91, yeah. and we started working on it together. Obviously, our, our common interest was The Cure. Mm -hmm. That's when we ran it. I, I still put my name to it, but Chris did at least 50% of the uh, the work and an awful lot of the envelope stuffing back then. And then in about 1997, I, I was pretty much overwhelmed with stuff in life and my, my interest was waning. It, it, it was just limiting a bit and Chris was still full of enthusiasm and it didn't seem right that I should still be putting my name to something where Chris was doing the majority of the work and so um, he took over. Great. So going back in, um, in time, Chris, if you could just maybe say a, a bit of your origin story for the people who don't know you. Or... Yeah, sure. So I met the band... Um... Top of the Pops, um, when they performed in between days in 1985. How did you uh, get to Top of the Pops? <laughs> a friend of mine, he had a job uh, fixing the lighting in the studios. So we used to go up there of an evening on a Thursday and hit the bar when the bands were finished recording. They'd all go to this big, huge bar at the BBC and we'd meet Madonna and various other people. And the Cure were there. And um, I went up to them and said, I'm going to go and see you on tour. And Robert said, oh, well, come and see us. So I went down to St. Orstall and banged on the backstage door and a roadie opened it and said, I'm here to see Robert. And he said, oh, you better come in then. And I walked in and the band were there and they remembered me from Top of the Pops. <laughs> so after that, I started following them around as you do and got to know them quite well. Then a friend of mine had a very bad motorcycle accident and I was going into town, into London, with a friend in a car. And I pulled up to a set of traffic lights and there was this girl in a red sports car blaring out disintegration at the top of the volume of the, in the car. I looked round and two weeks before, Janie had been in a newspaper, which was Sounds. I think so, Chris, yeah. With yeah. that bob haircut, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was already writing to her and then, of course, I had a face. So I put two and two together and said, hey, you're Janie, aren't you? Shouting across from the traffic lights in this... <laughs> in the middle of London at one o'clock in the afternoon. And, uh, and she said, yeah, I am. And then she just drove off. <laughs> but it happened to be a couple a of days bitch. late. We shared the same local pub. No. We didn't actually know about uh, know at the time we did. Oh. And we actually lived around the corner from each other, literally 10 minute walk. <laughs> so we, we started dating and, and then I, I sort of helped help with Cure News. Just um, Saturday afternoon, the mail would arrive in the sacks, we'd sit on the floor in the front room, put a video on or some music and open all these letters together, collate everything, put them in piles. And then we started to 
go on tour together to see the band. So 1985, you're doing Top of the Pops, just any band, right? You just had access. You would just go. Yeah, for a couple right? of months, yeah. Yeah, and then had you heard The Cure before then? Yeah, I'd heard The Cure in uh, 91, 92. 81, 82. <laughs> 81, 82. Yeah. So when you saw them at Top of the Pops, were you already obsessed or did that sort of link? I was already obsessed. I was already looking like Robert Smith by then. Okay. Yeah, I already, I already stole my, my dad's white shirts out of the closet and I was already wearing leather trousers and spiking my hair up and doing the, the Love Cats caterpillar look. Right. Yeah. So you, just as far as like being a fan, you both had before you you met the band you'd seen them a fair amount yeah you weren't yeah. like a a punter as they say over in your country yeah Janie did the same as me she she spiked her hair up too yeah and I met them at top of the pops in 1983 first of all that, that's the very first time I met Robert in that same bar Chris it's funny isn't it small world yeah <laughs> I guess bands were slightly more accessible at that time yeah um well, obviously, the band weren't as big as they were as they, as they are now. So it was re reasonably easy to meet them, I found, anyway. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was just uh, different times, 1985. But then when you saw Janie in the car, <laughs> what year-ish was that? 1991, I think. Yeah. Okay. So by that point, Janie's already well into Cure News. Chris is writing. You're writing to her just as the as a like a fan, as a yeah. I was writing to her as a fan, but at the same time, I was also being really cheeky and ringing up Fiction Records every week, saying because we didn't have internet. I was saying, "What's happening with the band? Can you tell me? I'm friends with them, and they quite happily tell me what was happening." And as a result <laughs> of that, I got invited to the MTV Unplugged thing that Janie was at as well. Oh, that's right, yeah. And we hadn't met at that time, had we? And that was early 1991. Yeah. Was that 1991? Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 That could be a podcast in and of itself. It's quite weird yeah. the number of times we now see pictures of something or video where Chris and I are like three or four people apart in the front row of something and we didn't know one another. I think at the Royal Albert Hall we were like two spaces away, um, certainly at the MTV thing, um, Unplugged, we were almost next to one another. Uh, it's kind of weird yeah. that our paths crossed that many times, but we didn't meet until it was completely uncure related. It was a traffic jam on the A40. <laughs> it's incredible. I love it. So Chris, you start, you start, you're, you're doing the Cure News together, you're dating, you collaborate together to do the work. Correct. Because it was starting to get really big by then. I mean, we were taking in, oh, I don't know, probably every weekend we were taking in probably about a thousand letters at one point. Maybe every week? Yeah. What you have to bear in mind is we both have very full on full time jobs at the time, you know, and having a letter is not like opening an email, you, you know, it's something you have to physically open and most of them if you, if you think back then a lot of people didn't have access to even word processors typewriters they were handwritten so you had to kind of decipher people's you know spider-like handwriting so it was a really really time-consuming process and every single letter was always read from top to bottom you know it wasn't like you just went oh they want an autograph they want a photograph we, we literally read everything we did the best we could and then, so Chris, you you took over in what ninety seven, ninety eight. So uh, yeah, I got a call from Perry at home saying, "Do you want to go to New York with us?" So I said, "Yeah." 
He said, well, we're flying out on this date and it's Irvine Plaza and it's Halloween. 1997. I said, at that time, I just moved out of Janie and, and my house and got a flat, a little apartment around the corner and I didn't even have a sofa to sit on. Mm-hmm. I thought, hmm, buy a sofa or go to New York. <laughs> I'll go to New York. So I got on a plane and flew to New York and met the band and said to Robert, you don't mind if I take over running Cure News, do you? And Janie's got some personal problems. She's still a fan, but she, she'd like to take a little bit of a back seat for a while. And he said, I thought you were already doing that anyway. <laughs> said, well, n- not exactly. He said, oh, oh, okay, well, yeah, go for it. You know what you're doing. Just carry on as you were. So that's where I sort of came in and took over as it were or maybe not taking over wasn't really the word for it because Janie I was still ringing Janie up and saying oh, what what do you think I should do about this and she was also spell checking my work checking my spelling but I was like opening the letters and doing all that stuff so um yeah flew back from New York and then took over. So by this point, though, you have a little bit of a leg up as far as your, were you typing on a computer? Well, that, the funny thing was that the week I wrote to Robert, to because I, I did think I owed him an explanation, so I wrote him a, a nice letter explaining why I wasn't able to uh, carry on. And my letter crossed in the post with a Apple Mac, one of the original big boxy Apple Mac computers. He sent me after all those years, it turned up on the doorstep, a brand new Mac. And it oh. was like, shit, I didn't see that coming. It, it wasn't, we, we had no warning, did we, Chris? It just literally turned up at, at the house. And I went to Chris, oh, you better have this. <laughs> and so Chris took the Mac and that was that. And I'd literally written to Robert that week saying, you know, for, for whatever reason, I'm unable to give it the time that it, it, it still quite rightly deserves. Um, and so I'm, I'm stepping down. And um, up, up rocks his computer. Yeah, I mean, put it into context. I worked for Virgin Records, and we didn't even have a computer. No. Um, mm. So we didn't even know how to switch the Mac on. Mm. So I, I rang up. I rang. I rang up and said, uh, "What do we do with this?" And she said, an ITA from Fiction said, "I'll send someone round." So a couple of days later, a knock on the door, and it was a guy called Nick Ayres who used to work for the cure in 96 yeah 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 i guess he was a roadie and he plugged me in and uh, <laughs> he couldn't get it going. he said i really don't know how to connect to the internet so he made a couple of calls and then a few days later martin from the wonder stuff who was their fiddle player who's sadly not no longer with us he came round and said i know what to do <laughs> so the three of us connected to the internet with this like dial-up modem and uh and we then had an Apple Mac that was working, um, and we had access to the the internet and the cure at that time, and just launched their website. Right, and then so Chris, you you carried on with uh, Janie helping Cure News. I think my last one is twenty one. Actually, highlighted the Cure International Information Service twenty one, and it says, yeah, ne- December nineteen ninety nine, January two thousand. And then you say, I will be back in February with a special album launch issue. So please send me back your envelopes as soon as possible. The year 2000 is going to be a very special year for The Cure indeed. Love, Chris. Wow. That was the last one, wasn't it? Cure News 21, I think. That was the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how prophetic is that, though? Because it was a really special year. It was. So what, what brought the end of Cure News? It's hard to really say what brought the end to it. Um... 
I did, as you did, Arusha, a lot of the uh, Dream Tour. Electra Records took over quite a large amount of the work because Fiction Records was winding down. I can't remember the date Fiction shut its doors. It must have been soon after then. And without Fiction Records support, then I didn't have anybody to get the news from. Mm. I just couldn't obtain the information I needed. And at, at that time, I was putting out stop press news, which was in between the, the cure news. Is If I found out about something at all, either through working at Virgin Records, like they were going to put out a single, or Fiction Records would tell me something was going to happen, or the band sometimes would tell me things were going to happen. I would rush out a press release to as many fans as I could. I had access to a little bit of cash, so I'd just buy stamps and just post that stuff out. As a result of that, we got invite, we got fans invited to a lot of TV shows um, and, and, and small events. Mm. And I kind of felt that at the time, without Fiction Records and Electra pushing the band slightly more to the US side of things, they didn't want anybody outside of that field to take control of what they were doing and and, and they didn't know me from from adam really and they, they were gearing everything towards technology you know to, towards um i remember chris when we went to st Catharines, and it was talk about almost converting the fan club to um a, a branch of uh, the website and yeah. um you know they, they were very you know we had the initial conversations but it was when technology was really that that sort of technology was just really coming through and i think towards the end of that period it was kind of well we need to consolidate it all over under this one umbrella and as you say it was more geared <laughs> to the american market yeah we sat at st Catharines when they were recording wild mood swings in in the kitchen with roger and i think robert was there at some point and they showed us what they wanted to do with the website and how it would interact with the fans but i don't think the technology at the time really allowed us to do that we had a chat room which soon got filled up with spam and junk and various bits of porn so that didn't... the chat room in the on the cure website yeah the cure at the cure.com mm. which i i ran as best as i could Mm-hmm. I tried to answer as many questions as I could on that and, and forward uh, important emails to the band. Mm-hmm. For instance, Mark Platty, who played guitar for David Bowie and was on Wrong Number, he emailed in and said, I don't know if you know me, but I want to come to the Irvine Plaza show. Can you get me on the guest list? And I would forward that, things like that to Robert. Oh, wow. How weird is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Mugwai as well. Um, they emailed the cure at the cure.com and said, We're a small Scottish band. We really like the cure. Would you like to hear our new album? <laughs> and uh, the rest is history, I suppose. Wow. So things like that were, were great doing the cure at the cure.com. But I just like Janie points out, I think that record companies want to take complete control over things and they don't like people from the outside getting involved with anything. So that's why it ground down, I think. Mm. Yeah. And what we were doing, it, it was out of date before it got anywhere anyway. You know, it, it, it kind of, I, I know, obviously, I wasn't involved then, Chris, but it was dying a natural death purely because it was a bit of a dinosaur in times in terms of the um, time it took to put it all together. And of course, the cost of doing it as well, because, you know, it, it was quite a good few grand for every um, every run we did in terms of printing costs. And the band was swallowing yeah. that, which was hugely generous of them. But you know, so it was just bound to die a death, I think, in time. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that because for somebody like me, like I was living in Arizona and the classic story of a girl with like one, fr- I mean, I had friends, but I only had one friend 
who was really into the cure. It was just us. It really, everybody else is like, why, why do you guys see a forest again? <laughs> so when, for me, when I got this stuff it, at Cure News, well, I started getting them in 92, 93. I didn't have access to all this stuff. So in your world, it may have been behind because you yeah. both work in the record industry. But for me in Arizona, I, you know, in the United States, it was like, it just, it just, this felt much more intimate. It felt like, who's this Janie person? Who's this? <laughs> they know they're, they're good people. <laughs> they're good people. And, and, and when I was preparing for this interview, it's funny that you brought up the um, St. Catherine's court because it was one of the things I highlighted. Um, it's in Cure News 17, which is October, 1996. Wow. And yeah. And I feel like, 1996 was the year that the world forgot about the cure in a lot of ways, but in fact, it was one of the most rich and dense time periods as far as I'm concerned. They were doing a lot of promotions. Cure News was happening. The website started. If you look at the contests you guys ran and the interviews, that would never happen now. No. Never. Yeah. I mean, things like doing that five swing live CD, fan club CD we did. Oh, yeah. wow. That would never happen now. No. It was really quite intimate at, at the time, you know, and what we wanted to do is make people feel like they were engaging with the band. And hopefully, I think we did achieve that, it, but it was of its time, you know, it's not something that would work now, as Chris had said, everything is, is so different. Yeah, in, the, in this interview, you say, The Cure kicked off 1996 by flying to South America for two concerts in Brazil. They seized the opportunity to take a, a plenty of video footage of the trip and do just little intimate things like... The footage was highly amusing, particularly the bit where Perry and Daryl were trying to get the pilot and crew drunk. <laughs> <laughs> During March, Chris and I were invited by the band to St. Catherine's Court, actress Jane Seymour's magnificent house near Bath in the south of England, where the band built a temporary studio to record the album. We were treated to a playback of the album. As a listener or a reader, you know, that takes me into that atmosphere the five swing live chris you say time for prizes in this issue i have been or no janie says it in this year i've been given eight copies of five swing live to give away 20 copies a very rare promotional wish the electronic press kit vhs pal format only <laughs> and also 15 copies of mint card tin card toys features and single sleeves please state which prize you would like to win it seems like you guys are making work for yourself on a postcard with the answers to the following question. What is Robert's nickname for video director, Tim Pope? <laughs> I don't remember that. I have no idea. <laughs> you wouldn't have won any prizes, Arusha. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have. I think you wrote those questions, Chris. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I remember collecting the tin toys fiction yeah. she had this big cardboard box yeah of the toy clown in the car that's it and, the mom and she said we overordered these the idea was we were going to send them out to press with um the press release and a, a copy of the cassette of the wild mood swings album but for some reason the, the people who were posting them out forgot to include the tin toys so, mm. so we don't know what to do with them so can you take them and just give them to fans so that's why I had a whole load of mint car Russian tin toys. Going for huge sums of money on eBay right now. <laughs> yeah, the fans <laughs> are really them. into collecting those toys, aren't I know, they? amazing. So how did you decide the content? 
Well, it, it started obviously very, very small. Um, the content is difficult because you've, you've got news to give out, but obviously news becomes old if it's gone out to the press before you've got you know a, an opportunity to get it out. So you then have to build on something else. So the very first issue, I think I started with um, putting a discography together. I mean, you know, it was hysterical that nobody had ever sat down and written a cure discography to, at that point had actually committed it to, to paper with a typewriter. So I actually typed it. Fiction used to ask me, have you got the discography? So I put together a discography, a biography, which um, I cobbled together from other things that had been written. And then I thought, well, the idea is to try and get each member of the band to get to know them personally. So to do this kind of personal profile, which actually I, I think I probably pinched that idea from like tour programs or something like that. I think tour programs back in the day used to have, you know, yeah. what's your favourite food, what's know. your favourite animal, blah, blah, blah. It all seems so dated now, but it, I guess it was opening up the members of the band to being real people. What are their likes and dislikes? So I kind of threw that in and then just whatever news I could get. And then I came up with this idea of, well, if you could ask a question, what would you ask and who would you ask it to? And so every question that was sent in, was a genuine question from a fan and they went off to the band but the trouble was that used to hold the whole process up because you know they'd be hit with these questions everything was written by hand they would sit on a tour bus answering the questions in writing they would get sent back to me sometimes three four months after i'd sent them out because obviously they were busy they were on the road whatever so we did that and then um the cure friends thing came about um Mainly because I'd had pen friends um, back in the 70s. When I was a Slade fan, I had Cure friends that I'd met through the Slade fan club. And I thought it was quite, quite a good idea to put people in touch with other people. And so other than that, it was just how do we pad it out? So then I came up with the idea for Cure friends. And that became quite successful because, and I hear this from a lot of people I've met over the years, they felt alone especially more so Americans than in the UK. Obviously, I think just the geography of it and, and perhaps at the time, yeah. fans being out there back in the 80s, it, it made them feel part of something. And so much as though Cure Friends was the bane of my life because typing up all those descriptions of what people were looking for in Friends and then all the addresses, you know, all the, the zip codes, the postcodes, you know, it, it was really, really time consuming. But people actually did meet lifelong friends through it and so it was kind of rewarding and then it just went on from there you know as technology moved forward we were able to include photographs um just to bolster it out a bit but the content was pretty much just what chris and i would come up with you know i i, I highlighted some some notes from fans because the the cure friends part just shows you how disconnected people were and people yeah. just needed to get in touch yeah. still in 1996 uh hi i'm a 21 year old male living one of the most in one of the most boring towns imaginable i like music by the cure pixies breeders blur you too would like females from age 18 and up to correspond with so and so from south africa and then the next one is it's hard to write something that won't make me sound like a jackass well <laughs> girl 18, KMFDM, Beatles, Cranes, Prick, 242, 80s Pop, etc. Symptoms, 1984, Coffee Flavored Ice Cream, Every Anybody Write Me, Lydia, 
I mean, isn't it incredible to think that like how many people just were starving to to get in touch with people and that's the service you provided. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible, yeah. isn't it? And it's just so internet. nice when you see people who, who say that was so important to them at the time. You know, it was, uh, it was rewarding. I'd love to know if anyone, and I'm sure people are still friends, but I wonder if anyone ever got married meeting through Q&News or... You hear that, everybody? <laughs> Has anybody listening connected through Pure News, gotten married or divorced? Oh, yeah. Is there anything off the top of your head that is like a memorable Pure News story or? Like when Joni did a competition, they took the they took the competition to pick the winners onto the QE2 and then lost them. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't remember that. So they... Janie ran a competition and all the fans wrote in and then Janie gave all the stuff to the band to pick the winners and they lost all the competition winners on the QE2. What, what year? Was that the Wish Tour? Yeah. Wow. What do you mean they lost? They're just like a bag of letters on a boat somewhere? Yeah. It's probably still going backwards and forwards between New York and Another UK soil. The anecdote was um, when Chris and I were going out for the West Coast shows in, what year would it have been, Chris? 1993, maybe? No, that was 92 for the Wish Tour. For the Wish Tour. Um, and I always used to, you know, if I got mail that was really personal and you'd get some letters about, you know, how, how the band had changed people's lives, you know, really mm -hmm. meaningful letters. I would always pass them on because I thought it was a decent thing to do. You know, even if they didn't get read, I'd done my bit. I'd got them in the hands of the, you know, who, who was meant to be the recipient. And so Chris and I flew off en route to Phoenix. We had a, a, a stopover in St. Louis and mm -hmm. I had a bag of fan mail, mm -hmm. which, which stupidly I hadn't opened. So we hit immigration. <laughs> They're going through our stuff. They separate the two of us. I got detained because I had all this fan mail that I'd never opened and I honestly didn't know what the contents were. So there they are opening envelopes in front of me. One of them had dead spiders and flies in them. One of, one of them was written in blood. And Chris is going, oh, for God's sake, we needed to get this connection flight out to um, Phoenix. But of course, nobody in St. Louis had even heard of The Cure. Right. And then right. they're going, well, where are you staying when you get there? And we're like, yeah, we, yeah. we don't know. Right. Um, so anyway, they, with the band. Yeah. they let yeah. us, well, the first night we were in a Best Western and then we were staying with the band the rest of the, is that correct, Chris? That's how I That's remember correct, it. That's correct, yeah. yeah. But yeah, we nearly never made that show and, you know, it was a big lesson learned. But for me, you know, just trying to explain to two um, customs or immigration officials who the cure were, you know, as a rock and roll band, <laughs> I just didn't get it at all. So that was kind of a funny anecdote along the way. But there are so many, Arusha, but it, it... So do you guys remember, you know, how it was when Chris, uh, when Chris, when Jason joined the band? This is uh, from Cure News 20. It says, one of the questions was, what was your personal highlights been whilst in The Cure? Robert says, retaining my sanity and my private life. Uh, Simon says, meeting Sarah. Perry says, playing concerts, traveling the world, meeting people. I love it all. Roger says, come on, 10 years of highlights. But Jason says, going to New York City for the first time, playing songs that remind me of a good time when I was young, having a laugh. Well, I, I've got a story about Jason. I've got several stories. We met Jason on the video shoot of the 13th 
the single the 13th we took a day off work they'd invited us along to go and be in the video and we took the day off and we were about to leave and we got this call saying oh we actually don't need you now we've got too many people down here and jenny i looked at each other and went f that we're going anyway (laughs) right we went down there anyway and we ended up being in the video but being in the audience and if you blink you miss us but after the video was filmed jason came up to us and said so what are Cure fans like then? Do you know, I don't remember that, Chris. That's amazing. And I said, well, <laughs> they're all mad. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. So he was very inquisitive and very interested in that side of the thing because he he didn't come from that Cure background. You know, he was in a pop band, an indie pop band called My Life Story. They'd had one hit, I think, been on top of the pops once, and a very underground indie band. So that for him was a whole new world. You know, he was um, very inquisitive and asked us lots of questions about Cure fans and where, what are they like? And, and, and that's my first memory of, of Jason. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Chris, your memory is so much better than mine. Jesus. You remember that video shoot, though, don't you? I remember the video shoot. There were snakes in it. I remember that. No, that that was uh, the third. That was a uh, wrong number. Oh, was it? Yeah. So the 13th. Yeah, the 13th was when they had the... The Mexican girl jiggling around next to Robert. Yeah, no, I I do remember that. Yeah, we were in the audience. And um, yeah, yeah, no, I do remember that. I've got photos of that somewhere, actually. Yeah. And then we were in the Mint Car video, which was hysterical. They dressed us up. Well, it was absolutely... I mean, you know, there's one thing about kind of getting undressed and getting changed in front of people you don't know, but getting shoved in a changing room and told to get into this dress, which is three sizes too small for you. On the hottest day of the year, in front of the cure, it's just something I would never ever want to repeat again in my life. Thank God Robert had his own changing room, but I remember the rest of them being in this fucking room, and it was like the hottest day of the year. So I'm sweating back at those. It won't zip up. That was just a... sounds incredible to me, Jeannie. It was an sounds amazing. Like um, it was an amazing experience actually. Be I, I mean, you know, blink and you miss us, but we are actually in mint car more than any other video. I think it was good fun, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah. The, the end shot when Robert's underneath the coffee table. I'm the one who's pouring the beer over the glass coffee table. Yeah. And he's underneath it, so I got to soak Robert Smith with beer. <laughs> And I'll tell you how long ago it was. One of the extras in it, it there was this old man who had been cast in it. And I was talking to him and he said to me, um, oh, this is my second pop video this week. I said, oh, God, what else you done? He goes, oh, it's this bunch of girls. uh, They they won't do anything. Um, He said, but yeah, it it was called um, Wannabe. Um, They're called the Spice Girls, but you'll never hear of them again. (laughs) I guess there's this time period that I find really fascinating, which is, after Wish, when the band was like falling apart almost, you know, it was, it really like, this is unofficial, so haters don't quote me, but really there was this point in time where it was really just Robert and Perry was by his side. Jason wasn't in the band yet. Boris was leaving. Pearl was leaving. Simon was, I don't know. Roger had been outed. So there was really, that was actually a point in time where we may have lost the cure. So when 1996 came, Jason came back in and, you know, maybe he came in in 95 or whatever. But, you know, to me as a, as when I, that was my, really when I got to know the band and more fans, I looked back at 92 and 89 as these people that they were untouchable. 
1989 to me, disintegration, the band, I mean, there's just no way. So it would be interesting to hear about your experiences in, in, in doing Cure News in 89 or, or anything you want to talk about, either of you, during that time. Yeah, I've got to be honest, my memory is so sketchy from those times. I mean, I just kind of, I loved the band, I loved everything they did and kind of accepted everything that happened and went on. Um, I kind of remember, oh, disintegration is passed in a blur and I can't even say, Say why I'm sounding really fucking blanky, but let's just say there's a song called Love Song on it. I I was probably um drinking too much amongst other things at the time, and I just don't remember that much about that period of my life, not just of disintegration. I I've got chunks of my life missing because I was having way too much fun. I th I'm sure it's probably why my memory is shit. I mean, you know, the first thing I do if I'm trying to reminisce about anything is I drop Chris a, a note saying, did we do this? What happened here? You know, so the time before Chris was there to remind me of anything is actually even more sketchy. I mean, you know, in, in terms of touring and, and seeing the band play live, um, I pretty much had to um, make my own way around things. I didn't have any friends who liked The Cure. And so I would see them play locally, but to go and see them outside of like the London and the home counties area, I would only go if I was invited with the band. So I wasn't like a touring fan as such back then because I had no one to tour with. So I don't really know why I'm saying that. <laughs> well, it, first of all, it was probably a bit easier for me as a man, a boy, to just go off and do do the tour stuff on my own as opposed to, at the time, and maybe even so now, feeling safe as a woman or a girl to go out and just say, I'm going to go to... That's right, Chris. I had no one to go with, and so I, I yeah. wouldn't have seen that many shows unless I was guest-listed and I was with the band, which happened on occasion. I mean, I was always given a pass if I could get there, but I was very much on my own back, so quite often didn't have anyone I could go with. So I didn't see as many shows as I, I now sort of retrospectively wished I had seen back then. But Chris, you, you followed the 89. Yeah, I did about, I can't remember off the top of my head, maybe about 20 prayer tour concerts, I think. Wow. Um, all in Europe. I didn't have the money to go to the States. Right. So, yeah, I did um, all the UK shows, obviously, and then parts of Europe that I could afford. Um, I had a, a girlfriend at the time who was a Cure fan. So we, we would go together, which made it a lot more easy. But I, I at the time, I was buying tickets. I wasn't guest listed. I didn't know the band well enough to, to get mm. on the guest list. So I just bought tickets. And as I was at Virgin Records in the export department, I'd speak to people in Holland and, and Germany and say, the Cure are playing in here and here. Can you can you score me some tickets? Because we couldn't phone up at the time and buy tickets from the UK in Germany. We didn't right. have the internet, so you couldn't buy tickets if you weren't if you weren't in that country. So they would score tickets for me and, and post them to me, and then I would go off and and do some shows. Right. Janie, do you remember was it was was Kiss Me the album that was happening when Cure News? It must have been. Yeah, it would have been. That was, I mean, for me, one of the first big things was what, and it's still to this day was pretty much one of the adventures of my life because 
I'm, I'm not much of a traveller. I don't, I'm not very good at being outside of my comfort zone, if you like. And I, as Chris will testify, I hate flying with a vengeance. I'm absolutely terrified of flying, which is, has always limited my ability to see the cure. <laughs> And Maybe I just, Robert stole, stole that idea from you. Yeah, I think I might have got it from him, actually. I just, anyway, um, yeah, I think it was uh, the, the kissing tour. I just got this call saying, um, you're going to Paris. And I'm like, I'm what? You're going to Paris. You know, get yourself down to the airport. So I literally, I got a bus from the top of my road, got to the airport, joined this queue, got to the front. They said, oh, no, you're in the wrong queue. You should be over there. And I'm like... Wow, you know, and, and it was like club class, which is a whole different thing. And they'd literally put me on my own on this plane to go over and see them in Paris. And there was this massive um, press reception there. It was one of the best um, nights of my life because I'd only recently taken on the fan club thing. The hotel I was staying at was called the Paris Hilton. Can you believe that? I was in the Paris Hilton and I was... We had the whole of the fifth floor, the band had the whole of the fifth floor and I went up there and I went out on my balcony and there were fans camped out below on, on the square, like on the ground. And every time I opened my, my, um, my door, five floors up, went out on the balcony, they were like, oh, who's that, who's that? And it was just so exciting to actually, that was the first time I actually thought, Jesus Christ, I'm actually part of this. I'm part of this entourage. And I don't know how mm. it happened because I'm just some girl who, you know, works for a, you know, down the road and took this opportunity. And now here I am in Paris at this amazing thing. And I think we, I think there were two shows. I think we did two. Again, my memory doesn't serve me well, but I do remember the um, big after show reception. I was sat with um, Robert's parents on the table. Um, several family members have been flown out. Um, and then the next day I got a call from Lawrence in my room and he said, what are you doing today? I said, well, I, I, you know, I've got to go home later. And he said, well, I'll show you the sights of um, Lydia and I will show you the sights of Paris. And he booked a limo and took us around all the sights of Paris and everybody went, people go, oh my God, it's Lawrence for the cure. It was, it was just amazing to have been part of that, incredible. Um, and it will always be one of the best memories of my life and, you know, I, I flew, I was fine, I got there and back, and just to be part of that was incredible. That's amazing, yeah, what a great really story. Yeah, it really was, it was beautiful. Really, really kind thing to do, and it just meant so much to me, you know, very lucky. It's really interesting how popular they are again, which is great, and it affords all of us to continue to do what we love and have people appreciate it, but I think that's a theme that all three of us have touched on in this interview, you know, the, the band, is they've always been kind of cool to their fans. Yeah. And... They have, yeah. It, you know, like what you said, Janie, in the beginning about Robert not wanting the fans to to pay for it, I think is important. And, and Chris, when I see the photo of you and Robert, like looking at this pile of, you know, that photo that you've shared. Oh, yes. Um, so we flew back uh, after we did the the radio shows in the US. So they, they would have, uh, before Christmas, they'd have these US radio shows, K-Rock and various other people. And I said to him, uh, when you come back, do some do some shows in London for Christmas. It'd be really good fun. And the fans haven't seen you for a year, so you do a concert. So I went to rehearsals and we sat down and that picture was taken by somebody when we were going through the set list. And he was saying to me, 
I'll fax you the set list next week and you can tell me if these songs are good to play. And I want the fans to have, we're doing two nights, and I want the fans to experience two completely different concerts. So this is what I'm going to do and this is what I think we should do. And I'll, I'll fax you the set list and you can tell me if I'm right or not. To me, that's like so important that he, he thought about that and he wanted the fans to enjoy that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's just so special, isn't it? Yeah. Who yeah. cares that much about it? Yeah. You know, you can meet your favorite band, and they could be it could be kind of like the Pope, you know, or, or like a like the president. Like, oh, hey, nice, you know, here's the autograph, and 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 it's sort of like a a requirement. Point is, is that when I met them, I was like, wow, you guys are really patient and kind, and kind of making the whole thing not that big of a deal. And not separating yourself so much from the fans. And when you look at Cure News, especially because you guys were given such access. I mean, Janie, you say that, you know, these these questions are goofy and they're dated. And it's true. Like, people don't say, like, what's your favorite color? What do you like to yeah. eat for breakfast? But if you think about the access and the playfulness that the Cure had with their fans in these freaking contests, it's a lot. Yeah, very mm. much so. Mm. Yeah, and if and if you think about the way the band see it, is that you know they're relatively family orientated, friendly, down to earth guys. I think, yeah, I would say that. And suddenly they're they're pushed into this massive tour, and, and like Janie and I went to see them at the Rose Bowl in '92, mm-hmm. and it was like Beatlemania. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't hear the co- the concert in the front row from the screams of the fans. Put yourself into the band's shoes; they're they're playing concerts in in the UK and in Europe, which are a reasonably large size, and suddenly they're catapulted onto this huge stage in the US. And mm. I think some bands can get affected by that in certain ways, and other bands just brush it off and just say, "Well, you know, this is what we do." Right. I just think they held that um, that ethic mm. that they they've not really got rid of. You know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's rubbish. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think we definitely heard that in even as late as uh, 2018 and 2019 um, at Hyde Park. Robert Smith's gratitude, I think, really. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really yeah. shined that day. Yeah. The fact that they showed up to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, what, what made you uh, resurrect? the the archive now oh god we've talked about it so much over the uh, years haven't we chris yeah just because we think yeah. it should be out in the public domain you know it, it, it in the broader public domain if you like we thought maybe we could do it as a book um obviously we would like to have done it with the full approval of um robert um but he's a very busy man all the time and we just thought, well, you know, we did it. Let's just make it available. We were looking at different platforms. And, you know, we came to the conclusion the best way to do it would be through a website. And, yeah, we want to make it available and hopefully then grow it. I mean, who knows, in, in years to come, it might be that it becomes a one-stop shop for all things Cure. Um, because it's a website rather than a Facebook group or, a, you know, a Twitter account or something like that, it, it, it can grow. Uh, I think we were trying to do this a couple of years back um, and we knew it would be a lot of commitment. And I think what's happened with the the um, the, the lockdown, the COVID lockdown, it's kind mm. of been, right, okay, if we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. 
Um, my work's diminished anyway. Um, Chris works from home. It seemed like the perfect perfect opportunity to actually do it. Yeah. Also, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, as you know, Rusha, we you know we'd stand in a field in Dublin, um, <laughs> and all around us were this age group of from probably from sixty to fourteen. Yeah. And everyone was going crazy, and you're thinking. This band have spanned 40 years career. A lot of these fans who are, who are coming on board now, who, who you know, we're in, I'm in this like Facebook collecting group and they're all like buying up all these vinyl and all this stuff. And they're really into collecting the cure. They're, they're all like 19, 18, 17, 20. They didn't ever know what cure news was. They never saw that. And to them getting news is so easy on the internet. I just thought it would be really interesting to show these these young fans, which I really admire and I love the way um, these fans are enthusiastic, to show them how it was for us when we were kids yeah. and, and how we we consume that news. Um, yeah. So I thought that was important to, to get that history out there. It's just, I think, from a personal really? perspective, you know, if, if I, I'm getting on a bit now and if somebody said to me, you know, what are the three biggest achievements of your life? I would have to actually say, actually setting up and running the Cure Fan Club because it, it's not that grand in the general scheme of things, but I was one of several hundred thousand fans who actually got to do that. And so I'm very proud of that to this day, even though I haven't been actively involved for um, oh, over 20 years now, I guess. Um, it is something that meant a huge amount to me at the time. I'll always be very proud of it. And um, so I think, you know, part of my legacy is that I did that and I would like like it to be out there. I think what's really interesting is that I can see, because Push has become an online entity um, while I try to get money for the next 20 years or whatever but um and i get i get emails of people who say i felt so alone until i met this these people these cure fans so they may meet online now but the phenomenon of being feeling like it's not just being like a cure outside or you know a cure fan and being an outsider it's just somebody who doesn't feel like they fit in and whatever way we all want to be connected we all want to feel like we have a part in this world and it's been interesting with push to to hear these stories of it opens up your world so much and and uh so i do think your legacy the cure news legacy is important i do think that fans will be able to relate to it um that are weren't even alive yeah i know that's the shocking thing that's shocking but true yeah we're so old yeah Hang on, I've got a few years on you yet. You too. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I always love the written form and I love the care that's put. I feel like there's a different kind of care. Yeah. As a Cure fan, obviously, I'm so pleased that I wrote that first letter into Janie for Cure News 1 and and, uh, have met all my friends, so many of my friends through, through the Cure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it is such a special group of people and you look forward to the shows almost as much for the, the friends you've, you've got around them as, as the show itself. You know, the uh, the last few years have 
just been phenomenal. I think those um, three nights in the Two Rivers Bar in Wembley will um, always be a turning point in my life, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that was the uh, the end of the 2016 tour. That's right. Three days in Wembley, and there was a fan, Marion Linden, who organized the Cure drink sort of before and after at this Lost Rivers bar. And I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it because there was just something in the air, and there was really there was, was new fans, really was. old fans, and it it was just you're right. It was like this a galvanized moment for Cure fans. The shows were amazing. Yeah, it really the band, was. The band and the, the fan back and forth, you could you could feel it. Unlike Manchester a few nights before, that was just totally weird. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, and, it was. And it was, it was great. The, the manager of that bar, the Two Rivers Bar, um, she, she said to Big Z, um, she said, you know, obviously they have um, pre and post concert drinks in there every night of the week when there's stuff going on there. She said she had never met such a wonderful bunch of people as the Cure fans that had been in there those three nights. She just said, you know, you're, you're all amazing. Just everything between you, the way the way you all are, the fun you have. And it, it was just lovely. It was really lovely. But yeah, what's important is the fact that I think Cure News brought together so many fans and, and as a result, we've all met. And uh, we all experience uh, these these things now. And, and when we go to a concert, we meet we meet Yurusha and we meet people from from Germany. We meet people from Japan, and we all know each other. And it's like a huge um, a huge get together. And the the concert, the, the live stuff, is just the cream on the top, isn't it? Really, it is. Yeah, it is. You can't sep separate it now. It's like a whole happening, man. It is. Yeah, yeah. So we're www.curenews.net and we also have an Instagram account which I've been leaking uh, photographs and various interesting bits of trivia um, which is Cure News Archives. So that's Cure News underscore archive. And the Facebook group? Uh, there's just a page at the moment, uh, just a holding page just called Cure yeah. News. And we've invented this thing called Treasures where we're going to put in all the stuff that um, we never featured in Cure News, but also that has sort of written letters by the band, personal uh, answers, stuff, yeah. post uh, pictures, personal stuff, really, and then eventually probably some of our own collection, our rarities. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Thank um, you. I love me some archives. I think it's really important. So unless there's anything else you want to add, any... I can't think of anything anything else you want to ask. Well, thanks so much for um, your time. Thank you. All right. Until next time. Yeah, nice to see you. Thank Patricia. you. Nice to hear you, Chris. All right. All right. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us out there in TV land. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I just love to say it. TV land. Uh, Alright, thank you so much Arusha. Feel free to steal our airwaves anytime. Always a pleasure having you on and thank you so much Chris and Janie for sharing your stories with all of us here at the Holy Hour podcast. Really can't thank you enough for all that you've done um, 
And this is going to be so amazing going and checking out the archives of Care News. I missed it the first time around. Um, so I can't wait to dive in and uh, check all that out. Again, if you missed it, it's going to be on carenews.net. And follow the Instagram at carenews underscore archive. And don't forget that Facebook page, too. You'll be able to find bonus materials and all kinds of personal stuff that they're going to put up there for all the good cure fans out there. So when you feel that longing for new cure, go revisit some old cure in the archives and um, get a little taste of the glory days. So that's all we got for now. And again, special thank you to Janie and Chris and Arusha. Arusha, of which you can check out the latest on her projects, whether it be Cure Fan Documentary Push Film or the fanzine of the same name. Be sure to go to CureFanDocumentary.com and follow her on Instagram at CureFanDoc. And uh, be sure to subscribe to the Holy Hour podcast on Apple podcast and follow us on the instagram at the holy hour podcast over there and our facebook page as we mentioned we'll put links to all this in there for this episode and uh, if you need to get in touch drop me a line directly at gavinconnor at gmail.com we'll be back in two weeks for uh, another dose of cure talk so until then take care and talk hard